Hello everyone, welcome to our teaching time this week. My name is Andrew Bowles and I'm the Senior Minister of St Mark's. We're continuing our series today looking at the servant songs of Isaiah and uh, reflecting on the meaning of that in, as we lead up to Christmas together. One of the things you might notice if you look around our popular culture is we love heroes. If you look at all our movies, we definitely love superheroes, but we just love heroes. We love those who uh, get involved, who use their gifts and their strengths and their passion uh, to make a difference in the world around them. And we also love our real-life heroes too. Uh, in the last year or so, we've been particularly uh, fond of our uh, emergency workers, our firefighters, those who've kept us safe from bushfires, and also the medical uh, workers who've been involved in the frontline work in the pandemic. So heroes are a big part of our culture and a big part of the stories that we tell about ourselves and the way we live in the world. And heroes do come up in the Bible, and the, the songs that we're looking at uh, in Isaiah at the moment, the servant songs, uh, are some of the great hero stories of the Old Testament where Isaiah speaks about a hero who will come to save God's people through his life of service to God. Just to remind you as we uh, continue this series, uh, if you're catching up, so we've been looking at these songs, the servant songs, and they are poems which are part of the middle section of the book of Isaiah in the Old Testament. Isaiah was a prophet uh, who lived about 700 years or so before Jesus, and he spoke to the people of Israel who had been sent into exile in Babylon uh, after the defeat of Jerusalem. And so he spoke to them about God's message to them in this period of their life uh, and what God was going to do for them in the future. And part of that was his descriptions in these songs of an elusive figure known only as the servant, someone who would be the instrument of bringing God's people back from exile and to allow them to be a blessing to the nations as they hope to be. We've seen in the last three weeks some of the previous songs which describe the servant character and uh, what he's going to be doing and how he fulfills God's plans. So in the first song we saw that the servant is going to be someone who fulfills the character of God in the way that he acts, who brings God's spirit into the world, who is full of justice and actually completes God's plan for creation and salvation. The servant, we saw another week, fulfills the fact that God has chosen to work through people, in particular this uh, nation of Israel that he's chosen, that God graciously completes his work by entering into human life uh, in the person of the servant and bringing us back to him. And the servant we see challenges us, if we are followers of Jesus, if we are God's people ourselves, to also be servants in the world and to be part of the servant's mission. Of course, as Christians, as I've said, we see Jesus himself as the complete fulfillment of this figure of the servant in Isaiah, which Isaiah may not have seen, but he knew somehow what God was going to do. So the next two weeks, we're going to be looking at the final of the uh, traditional servant songs, and we're breaking it up into two parts because it's uh, one of the longer ones. And this particular uh, song, this particular song in uh, chapter 52 and 53 of Isaiah, really bring the servant songs and this way of reflecting on uh, God's purposes to their highest point and also the deepest reflection on what it means for this servant to come. And it brings out the, the servant songs to their completion. And I believe that this particular song is one of the most profound parts of the entire Old Testament. 
So in this particular song, just what does it say overall, as we've heard it read? We see that it speaks about the life and the actions of the servant in a way that suggests that the servant will, will have both a life of suffering, a life that is uh, full of difficulty, but also will, out of that will come this glory uh, that will transform everyone around him and the whole world. So, of course, Isaiah, we don't know who he had in mind. He may have been speaking about a contemporary leader in his people, that he saw this pattern work out. Maybe speaking about the people of Israel as a whole and how their experience was going to pan out. Or he may have been looking forward, as we believe as well, to uh, a figure who was to come. But the servant is presented in this life, which is a pattern of suffering and glory. And Isaiah says to us that the presentation of the, of the servant is actually the opposite of what we consider a, a traditional hero to be. The servant is not a powerful, attractive, charismatic person who wins through his glory, his gifts, his strength. He is actually a humble, conventionally unattractive person who has no reason for people to take him seriously or regard him highly, someone who is in fact despised or persecuted by those around him. A man of suffering, he says. And the servant is even someone who goes to their death without anyone really noticing at large. But somehow after all of this, the servant is recognised as someone who has saved God's people. And so he is highly exalted, raised and lifted up. And this is, Isaiah says, because somehow in his suffering, we recognise that the servant actually took upon himself the suffering that was due to God's people and their sin, and allowed for them to be reconciled to God. Now, this servant song, then, is a, a strange story. It's a mystery that Isaiah is trying to unfold for the people who are listening. This suffering servant who becomes the person that God will save his people by. We have a problem, though, I think, when we read it, because we don't necessarily find it as mysterious or out of character as the people of Israel would have in the time of Isaiah. And I think the problem that we have is that it's hard for us to read this servant song today without thinking of the gospel of Jesus and the story of Jesus going to the cross and dying for his people. And so it seems quite straightforward to us to read it in that light and to understand how a suffering servant could save his people, even though he had no success in his, in his day. I think, though, that problem is back to front and it shows the historical perspective that we have because... It's actually this song that Isaiah wrote that formed the background that would allow people in Jesus' day to understand and interpret what was happening when Jesus went to die on the cross. Otherwise, they would not have understood it in the way that it should have been. And so this servant song is actually a key piece. It's like a bridge between uh, the Old Testament and the New Testament, allowing people to understand how Jesus fulfilled those promises. So I want to elaborate a bit more about that to help us understand how we got there. So I'm going to, <clears throat> I'm going to first go back to one of the books of the uh, Old Testament, early uh, book, uh, Leviticus, which is one of the books of the law. And if you're not familiar with the book of Leviticus, it describes the religious system of Israel, particularly the system of sacrifices that were put in place to allow the people of God to live with him in their midst, uh, to be holy people, and to show by the way they lived that they had a holy God in their midst. And the sacrificial system of the time really answered the question that comes, 
what do we do as God's people when we fail to live up to his standards and when we become impure, when we become unholy? How do we return to this state of closeness to God? And the answer that was given is there is a process uh, of what we might call substitution or identification. That is, we identify ourselves with the life of another creature that is offered to God in the way that we have not offered ourselves, or we have failed to do so. In particular, we, we identify ourselves with a, with a pure animal whose life is then offered to God. This is, the situ this is the practice of sacrifice, and it's described in great detail in the book of Leviticus. What it involves is a sense of uh, putting ourselves in the place of the animal and saying that we wish and we hope and we intend to live this way, to give our life to God, and please accept this intention. And this brings up the issue of what is called atonement in the Bible. Now, atonement is another word uh, for what we would call reconciliation. So how are people brought back to reconciliation with God and this sacrifice is a part of that process? So in the book of Leviticus, there's many descriptions of these processes of sacrifice and atonement, but there's a particular uh, chapter of Leviticus that's helpful for us today. If we look at Leviticus chapter 16, where it describes a special festival called the Day of Atonement. And this was a special day in the year in which the people of Israel gathered for a particular sacrifice which was designed to be a cover-all uh, sacrifice of atonement for the sins of the people that year and to bring them back to God again and to reset for another year. And so there are, there's one particular part of this ceremony of the Day of Atonement that's important for us. The centre of this ritual, which was the choice of two goats who were going to be the object of this sacrifice. One of the goats was considered to be a sin offering, who was going to be put to death as part of this offering process. And the other goat was left alive. Okay, And this live goat is the focus today, what I want us to look at, because we can read in Leviticus that this goat became the, the source of identification for the people of Israel, a place of putting their sin and sending it away out, out from them. So I want to read to you from Leviticus 16, verses 20 to 22. It says, When Aaron was finished making atonement for the most holy place, the, meeting, the tent of meeting and the altar, he shall bring forward the live goat. He is to lay both hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it all the wickedness and rebellion of the Israelites, all their sins, and put them on the goat's head. He shall send the goat away into the wilderness in the care of someone appointed for the task. The goat will carry on, on itself all their sins to a remote place, and the man shall release it in the wilderness. Well, this image, as you read it, you might understand this is actually the origin of the idea of what we call the scapegoat. So a scapegoat is an innocent creature or an innocent person who takes on themselves or is put, has put on them the sins and failures of a community so that they can be uh, driven out and take away the sin with them and leave the community intact. So Leviticus 16 describes the scapegoat for the entire people of Israel. So we're focusing on the scapegoat uh, today. Next week we're going to think about the other goat, the sin offering, because that also speaks to our passage. But when we think about uh, the servant song, if we go back to what Isaiah was saying, what we can read in this song is the surprising revelation that Isaiah was given 
was that this suffering servant, this person, is actually going to be the scapegoat for the, for the entire people of Israel. A human being is going to take upon himself the sins of all the people and take them away so that the people can be saved. This is a massive deepening of this image and this ceremony from ancient times. It opens up a whole new way of understanding how God is going to work, that he can bring atonement and reconciliation through a human being taking on the sins of the people. We can identify now and participate with a human being in his life and death, and that will take that away from us. And so Isaiah says the reason that the servant will be disregarded, the reason why the servant will be humiliated and considered of no account, was that he is intended to be the scapegoat for God's people, to bear their sins and suffering so that they can be saved and reconciled to God. The suffering of the servant is not a failure, it is the intended uh, purpose for which he came. So in 53 verses 4 to 6, Isaiah says, Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. We, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Can you hear that? The scapegoat, the sins of the people, have been laid on this servant. And this discovery that Isaiah made, or this revelation that God gave to him, that the suffering and the death of the servant was the means of taking away the sins of God's people, it's one of the key connections between the Old Testament sacrificial system and our understanding of the death of Jesus. So Isaiah in this song lays our foundation for understanding the meaning of the cross of Jesus. And it's important to understand that because it's not a natural way of understanding what happened to Jesus. If you look historically from the outside, what happened is you see a humble and unimportant person, a religious teacher, being humiliated, degraded, treated as a criminal, and executed. Yet, through the eyes of Isaiah, we can see that Jesus, like the servant, as the servant, has taken on the role of being the scapegoat of the people. He takes upon himself the suffering, the humiliation, the shame, and the punishment of all his people, and indeed of the entire world. And this is what John the Baptist saw when he uh, met Jesus, or saw him coming one day. In John 1 verse 29, Jesus, uh, John says of Jesus, Look, this is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. It's worth noticing that in this instance, though, it's not just the death of Jesus that is the fulfilment of the servant and his work of atonement. Uh, if we look at Leviticus, the goat, the scapegoat who takes away the sins of the people, remains alive. And it's his sending out. It's his uh, separation from the community that takes the sins away from them. The scapegoat works by being a vehicle to take the people's sin away by, identif by the identifying with them so that the sin does not remain in their midst anymore. And so with Jesus, what we see today as the servant, it's his willingness to identify with our sin and to take on the identity of a disregarded, despised, mistreated man of suffering, to go to the cross outside of his city, 
to the place that is outside, supposedly, of God's presence, and to draw the darkness of the world upon himself, this is what enabled him to fulfil the mission of the servant, to save God's people uh, and to allow them to be a blessing to the world and to take away the sins of the world. And this is what the disciples of Jesus then saw as they saw Jesus go to the cross. This is what they understood because they knew what Isaiah had said the servant would do. As the Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So he became sin to take away sin. Next week we're going to think about what happened when, they, when he did go to do that. We think about the other goat, the sin offering, and how the servant also identifies with that figure. But today as we approach, we approach Christmas, we're in the season of Advent, we can see Jesus from the very beginning took up this life and pattern of the servant, born in a humble place to a humble people, not someone who was regarded greatly for his power, for his strength, for his attractiveness or for the things that he could offer, but a humble person, a servant, a person of suffering and sorrow who took upon himself the sins of the world. And so looking at him in his life, even as it begins, we know that he is capable then as the servant of actually identifying with us in our failure. And we can identify with him and our sin can be put upon him for him to carry on our behalf and to take it away. And so through Jesus, through this servant, we know we have the hope of atonement and reconciliation with God, that our sins will be taken away because we can identify with him through faith. So as Isaiah said, we all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, but the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all.